to Executive Perspective, Behind the Business. In this podcast, we bring you insights and perspectives from government leaders and executives around the Beltway and beyond. Welcome to Executive Perspective. I'm your host, Doug Russell. Today, our guest is Steve Oren, Federal CTO for Intel Corporation, where he leads solution architecture, strategy, and technology engagements. Steve has held architectural and leadership positions at Intel Driving Strategy and projects on identity, anti-malware, HTML5 security, cloud, and virtualization security. Steve was previously CSO for Sarvega, CTO of Sanctum, CTO and co-founder of Lockstar, and CTO and Syndata Technologies. Welcome to the program, Steve. Thank you. Thank you, Doug. Happy to be here. Great. One of the things that uh, I wanted to really talk about is we're talking about a lot about an industry and government right now is artificial intelligence. And about a year ago, executive order was put out on the national strategy. And I was hoping if you could provide a little bit of an update on where we are, what's happened in the past year, and then what are the implications for this new executive order around artificial intelligence strategy to date? It's a very good question. And again, AI is a fairly all-encompassing topic. Yes. Uh, understanding that AI includes everything from deep learning and some of the newer models and algorithms to wide-scale machine learning and data analytics. And so we use it as a catch-all phrase, even though it has specific meaning depending on the environment you're doing. The nice thing about the EO and the overall strategy around it is it lays forth a game plan. Uh, here's how the government is going to work with industry and academia both in the U.S. and abroad, to really help advance AI and advance AI for all of humanity. Looking at the specifics in the AI, there's key parts around how to engage and invest in innovation in the AI space to help both on the startup side as well as on the industry government collaboration side. And so I think there's been a lot of activity in the last year sort of spinning up around innovation in the AI space, whether it be government-funded directly or through academia in partnership with with industry, both in the Valley as well as um, around the world. And so I think there's a lot of excitement of both the research into AI and the practical applications of AI. And I think that's important to recognize is that there's work happening on both sides because it is happening very quickly. Specifically, I think some of the things that the EO does is it lays out that, that game plan. And now the, the onus is on both government agencies and industry and academia to start executing. So we start to see in the beginning of that, we're seeing some of these collaborations. We see things like the Joint AI Center and DODs being stood up and starting to engage. We see DIU out in the Valley engaging with smaller companies and with larger ones on AI topics. And we're starting to see every agency start to come together with their internal strategy to map to the EO of how they're going to go forth and start adopting and innovating. The flip side, I think this was one of the really important things around the EO and, and, the, and the topic is it's more than just we have to fund things. Government holds a lot of data. And as we know in the AI machine learning space, the algorithms and the models are only as good as the data that comes into them. And so releasing the data and so helping to make the data open source and available to academia, to industry, to innovate upon is a key area where the government is contributing to the to the overall AI innovation and scale capabilities. And I think that's something that we continue to watch for and is really going to help push the boundaries because data is the driver to getting to those really cool outcomes. Right. No, that's a good point. There is a lot of data out there that's available. Is there particular agencies that are implemented better? Is there an area that uh, you think that some people are, are taking a agencies that are taking a larger focus on this? That was, you mentioned the Jake. 
which is a big part of the UD. Of course, there's just so much data. Is there, of course, you know, you can keep people's names out and there's, a, there's some areas that you think people that are doing it better than others, or let's say really getting a hold of this data challenge, which I think it is and using AI to implement that. So I think there are a couple ways to think about it. So we'll start with looking at what are the, some of the key areas where AI is being applied and some of the things that government agencies are doing to help drive it and, and evolve and, and innovate. I would want to mention one great place is the DHS program Impact, where they have open sourced just lots and lots of data, both for security research as well as for generic data sets, partnering with universities to help get these data sets together to help academic and industry and government better have access to broader data sets. And so there's some really great initiatives already in place. Data.gov and others are doing it as well. But I think DHS has done a great job, especially in the cyber area, of publishing data sets that people can get access to. The application of AI, we really see it, I, I see it in four key areas. Healthcare is a number one, precision medicine, genomics. There's a lot of innovation going on there. And, and NIH and others are actively involved in helping to drive the industry and work with the industry, get the data sets. We're seeing the VA do things here as well with the data sets they have and the applications to various different veteran needs. The other is obviously in the intelligence and DOD. There's huge amounts of data, whether it be everything from edge inferencing and sensing of you know, video recognition, image recognition, object tracking, all of those kind of use cases all leverage AI to large data sets and open source intelligence and trying to figure out, get meaning and sentiment out of the large data sets. Another key area is, of course, in the HPC, whether it be deep space science or uh, flow dynamics and things along with using AI to get at those hard to reach answers and using some of the big innovations we're seeing in compute that are going to help drive getting those big questions answered. One of the big exciting things coming next year is the uh, turning on of the first exascale computer and the one in uh, the Aurora uh, project with DOE. The big use case that they're all looking to do is to be able to answer some of those hard AI questions with the compute power of exascale. And then the last area, which is, you know, is not as exciting or as sexy as a lot of the other use cases, but it's actually where a lot of really real benefit can happen is in operational efficiency, logistics, transportation is applying AI to better do the things you do in your mission and your enterprise, whether it be understanding the logistics and flows and, and pulling out some efficiencies and identifying areas where you have gaps or where you're not getting the best performance in your processes and your people and in your systems to, in a case that I believe it was the Air Force who did, is looking at the procurement practices and applying AI and machine learning to figure out how they can do better and less and reduce waste on their procurement practice. So a lot of where uh, some really good power of machine learning AI can be applied is really on the back office side of things to get some of those cost reductions and inefficiencies out of the systems that aren't easily apparent when you look at a, a very complex system. And so I think one area where we're seeing some great innovation, but it doesn't always make it to the front page, is when you apply AI machine learning to back office, to your logistics and paper processes and digital processes and, and really try to uh, find efficiencies as well as reduce costs, reduce waste and get things done. And I think where you see the outcome benefit is if you look at sort of maintenance as a, pro as a big problem with, with the DOD and being able to get systems back online and ready for the warfighter quickly, things that they can do on the back end to reduce inefficiencies can get that jet fighter back in the field much quicker. And that has real tactical benefit. 
Mm. Thank you for that. There's just, the aperture is so large with AI, and I think the technology is moving so quickly, and you can point it to so many different things. In my, in my mind, I'm curious, what are the largest challenges the government's face in order to kind of adopt this new technology at the speed at which it's being developed? So I think it comes down to a couple fundamentals. AI is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And there are things that come in the life cycle that are absolutely crucial to getting the, the value. A lot of people think that you take a problem, you sprinkle a little AI pixie dust and magic, you have answers. Whereas the reality is it takes hard work in order to get to those kind of answers. Step one, I always like to say is make sure you're asking the right questions because AI can't solve everything. And oftentimes you ask the question that isn't what you really want or you don't have the data to support it. And that's another key part of the puzzle. It's probably the most important right? data curation, data management and access to good quality data is what's going to drive the AI. And if you don't have good input, you're not going to get a good output. And so a lot of work goes into the data curation and management to get to the fun algorithms and models right. that everyone wants to use. So it's the most important step to, to getting to successful scale is first the data curation. The next is, and this is sort of the, you know, the old cross in the chasm problem. Someone does a really cool pilot. I got a couple servers up and running. I did a training. I got a, a model. I could do some inferencing. I, fixed, I figured out something in my lab. Right. How do I deploy that at scale? And that's mm -hmm. something where it's not as much about the algorithm as much as what's the environment it's going to go into. How do I tune my algorithm for you know, small form factor in the field, large data sets in the back end, disconnected communications, the real world upon which these technologies have to live. And a lot of successful pilots never make it out of pilot because they didn't think about what it would take to scale that application. Some of it has to do with the fact that they were trying to solve too small of a problem and they created, created a very focused, unflexible outcome. The other is where they've tuned it to a specific piece of hardware or a specific kind of a use case that doesn't actually scale in the real world. And so where the technology companies like Intel and others are innovating is providing the means to take these models that are built, whether it be in TensorFlow or Cafe and these various frameworks or an OpenVINO, and be able to tune them and optimize them so you can build once, train once, and deploy anywhere, whether it be in the cloud or in a Jeep or in a plane or in a, in a small private data center, and be able to deploy that model in different environments so that you can move it from lab to real world quickly and efficiently. And I think that's where some of the innovations happening from the technology vendors is how do we get out of the, the POC jail and actually get into production and live uh, operations with AI? No, I think there's there's so many applications, and you mentioned, too, that one that I didn't really think about is the scale. So because you're dealing with such a mass amount of data, how do you pivot from thinking in, not in small terms but big terms? So is there anything that, um, you know, other considerations for GovCon firms that are kind of approaching the AI that can address some of the issues around scaling if you're a smaller firm but the technology to do such? Because there's so many things they can do. And so we're hearing a lot about that. So is there any kind of things that you thought you have around how GovCon firms and industry approaching government should take on? So the couple of good ways to answer that question. It's a very good question because ultimately, depending on what your resources are, right. you want to be successful. The good news is you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Right. You don't need 400 million algorithms for doing object recognition of a cat. Work's been done. Right. So leverage off of the work of others. Train your model based on existing data sets. 
take your data set to existing models. One of the really cool things about AI is that you can take models that were trained for various different data sets and then take that model and that framework and use your data set and train and train for it. And so instead of having to reinvent the wheel every time, leverage off the work of others that's out there in open source and available. And we're seeing a lot of quicker time to market scenarios where people build off of other people's work and do it legitimately. And so I think that's one area where GovCon can look at sort of what the industry has already done, what right. their partners and the ecosystem has already done and build from that. The other is come to the table with something. Most GovCon, most of the industry has good data sets. Exploit them. Right. Take advantage of the data you have. You may not be aware of all the data you have. Some good examples is people have, I have all this great video data, so I'm going to use that. But you forget that you have all the context, time, date, location that is also good data. Mm-hmm. So, and you're looking for, let's say you're doing, you know, sort of surveillance of cars passing by a certain street lamp, but you also are capturing weather information, you know, sunlight, shade, all these other pieces. So there's lots of rich data in the data set you have. Mm-hmm. Think about either how A, you exploit them. Or how you think about who your who a potential ecosystem partner would be that could exploit that, that together you could solve interesting problems. So I think uh, what GovCon can do is look at leveraging pe- uh, existing work, finding interesting ways to leverage their data, and where they provide real value is putting the effort into making their data quality, tagging it, labeling it, curating it. When you have powerful data, you become the driver. And that means you've got something of value for an, an agency or an industry partner that's looking for that kind of data. I think we're seeing a lot of academics spend a lot of time on the algorithms. And there's some really cool algorithmic research and model research going on. But I think the bigger bang for your buck is when you have quality data, that's the new, you know, the data, the asset. That's the valuable piece. As they say, data is the new oil. Good point. It's sort of a, you mentioned sort of it's the quality of the data. So, so I, I think sort of in a garbage in, garbage out scenario. Absolutely. In some of these scenarios, you're, you mentioned some of the things that are putting in place. Do you have any kind of success stories of people that are doing it well and maybe in a small context of here's what the, the challenge was. This is how they've used AI in the technologies. You mentioned DHS has done some things. Are you able to share with, obviously, I don't know how much you can share in, in an open format of a success or something that uh, solved a problem? I think maybe for our listeners in a sense that a practical problem uh, that may be out there that they didn't know existed, uh, but is, uh, is something that they would be interested in knowing and a, a success story of AI adoption. So I can give some a couple of generic kind of examples yes. and some of the ways that those teams innovated. Mm-hmm. I think one is when you look at some of the uh, surveillance use cases where you're looking at you have fixed and mobile cameras that are out there looking for various interesting things going on. One of the ways where some of them have been successful, especially when they move from cool little pilot into right. real world, is when they understood sensor fusion. So a lot of people look at, well, I've got an object recognition. I can know that's a car, that's a cat, that's a person, that's a truck, that's a tree. And then that's it. I successfully did my AI. But that actually doesn't answer anyone's question. The question you may be asking is, have I seen this person before? Or is that car some uh, coming at a direction that shouldn't be coming from. Mm. Have I seen that person in that car? Those kind of questions, that's the question you want to get to. And so that's where sensor fusion and data fusion comes into play. So the successful examples we've seen in those digital surveillance services kind of use cases has been when they take multiple different models, looking at object recognition, object tracking, human recognition, facial recognition, license plate reading together 
to actually answer a question. Have I seen this car in this place with that person at these times on a regular basis? You know, so looking for a bad actor or potential someone scoping a bank or something along those lines. Multiple variables pulling it together. Absolutely. And that's what a human could not do ever. Well, a human has a a window. This is one of the things that I think a lot of people forget. AI isn't going to replace the analyst or the human. It's going to augment. It's going to give them better. So we've, there's been studies done about how much time you can spend looking at a camera feed before your brain literally turns right. off. What AI can do is it can point out the interesting things. Right. So instead of looking at the camera all day long, waiting for something to happen, the AI will tell, hey, something to look at. Yes. And then you not only get better use of the person on that particular feed, but now you can actually have them monitor many, many, many feeds across multiple locations if they're only presented with something has changed. Now pay attention kind of, of use cases. So those are some of the ones we've been seen that have been successful is where we integrate understanding that the human operator needs to get the right information at the right time, not all the raw data all the time. Filtration system. Uh, so, anyways, so which kind of brings me to the next question is sort of how is AI going to evolve in the next couple of years? So a lot of things are coming now and sort of where is it going to go? Um, so we're open to bold predictions too. Feel free. But I think it's an exciting time for the technology and the innovation, both with the compute curve really driving faster, quicker decision-making. At the same time, we're seeing it permeate our daily lives. There's AI happening all around us. We just don't recognize whether it be your car detecting you're about to switch lanes or see something bes- beside you. So detecting, I, I drive a Tesla, so having the car recognize everything around, self-drive, autonomous vehicles. These are things starting to permeate your environment if you buy things on Amazon or you go and you search Google, you're taking advantage of AI. They're predicting what you want. They're trying to give you recommendations, They're understanding the sentiment. Right. Those are happening every day. And so as those continue to permeate through our daily lives and through the government use cases, we're going to see it applied to more places. I think some of the big things that are coming down the pike is as the harder questions start to get answered, whether those be some of the, the big deep space questions about how do we successfully get people to Mars? How do we predict what that will do to the human body? Those kind of hard questions. I think some of the areas in prescriptive and, and personal medicine are going to be very exciting as we get very targeted cures for common diseases, for cancer and so forth. And we're seeing some great innovation from startups that are able to do a lot of AI-based prediction around a particular drug's effectiveness and be able to reduce the amount of of side effects, reduce the amount of time for clinical trials when they can get rid of all of the bad parts of the molecule by just focusing on what works. And I think for for the warfighter, for the DOD, it's exciting times as we start enabling both the, the, the warfighter, the analysts, and the decision makers with better information, better data, and, and better outcomes. And so when instead of it being, well, I, here's my gut instinct or here's all this data and we have to sort of figure out what we – getting real-time answers and being able to then respond in real time with fresh information is going to enable us to be more effective and, be, and to save lives. No, I think that's all very positive outcomes, especially on the warfighter front. I guess there's less – guessing per se, but just sort of uh, it can help narrow the choice down to make a better outcome for everybody, which is great. Well, Steve, I want to pivot a little bit here. A couple of questions, maybe one on the personal side, your lead technologist. We have technologists uh, sit on the program. We always ask them, do you have a favorite app or technology that you like to use? I know you have a Tesla, so is there anything that you, technology piece, that you embrace and utilize on a regular basis? 
So I think going to the app question, there's a couple of apps that I use regularly. And one, and it's very tact- topical with all the the hacks and breaches that are going on. Mm-hmm. I use something called Password Safe on my uh, cell phone. It's a little app that encrypts your your list of passwords so that you can have unique passwords for every site and everything you go into mm-hmm. without trying to remember a unique password for 400 different sites. Yes. It was originally created by Bruce Schneier and his team at Counterpane back in the 90s. And it's available as an Android and iOS app. And I keep all of my passwords protected with that encryption on my local, on my, on my phone and on my PC so that I can have unique passwords. And then the collaboration app that I use most often uh, outside and around is Slack. I really like wow. it. There's a conference I, I, I go to and help attend uh, called uh, Conference for Defense that leverages Slack for both the planning, the day of and post-conference activities. And so uh, it's a great tool, I think, uh, from a technology perspective. And of course, I love yeah. my Tesla that I've had for about six months now. <laughs> yeah, no, Teslas are uh, they're making quite a move. I think it'll be interesting how quickly the adoption and self-driving cars, that's all coming. Um, well, the interesting one you mentioned about passwords, I think everyone struggles to figure out how many passwords, what do we do with that? So it's a good plug for that. I guess the old way is everybody's the locked Excel spreadsheet or the... <laughs> Print it out, write it out, and hide it. It's less common these days, so thank you for that. That's kind of all we have today. I appreciate you coming on and look forward to all the great things with uh, Intel and continued success. Thank you very much, and a pleasure to be here today. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Executive Perspective, Behind the Business. Visit our website at www.washingtonexec.com for more content and episodes.